0: Bonnie, so excited to have you on. Absolutely, my pleasure. I feel like it's it's very appropriate that you have the American flag in the background. It's not often that I get to talk to somebody in such an interesting role as yours, so let's just jump right in. I sure. think it'd be great if we could just get a bit of context on where you sit in the DOD and what your sort of roles and responsibilities are and, and, and yet where, where you fit into the picture.
1: I work for organization called the chief digital and artificial intelligence office for the department of defense so this is the best way to explain it because there are so many layers and tiers within the department is that i sit above where the services are so you have the army navy air force and and i sit a a layer above that and our office reports directly to the deputy secretary of defense so even There's a a ton of bureaucracy even in the office of the Secretary of Defense, and we don't even sit within that. We're kind of off to the side. And we we have our own special mission doing digital and AI and data analytics for the department, trying to figure out how to do that in this modern day of digital transformation, maybe. And Mm. there's a group of us just trying to like bear down, figure it out, and get after it. Like How do we get capability into the hands of soldiers, as I like to say? My role within this organization is, it's funny you want to talk to me because I, I'm a self-proclaimed contracting nerd and I've been doing <laughs> federal contracting literally my entire government career, but I've kind of landed at the intersection point of technology, especially emerging technology, as you can tell by the the office that I work in. So although I am very much in what we, we like to call execution of contracts and, you know, basically procurement and buying things. I have to be in this world just as much as, you know, all the smart people do. So I'm surrounded by lots of smart people, but I am, I like to call myself the contracts nerd in of the group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great context. I think before <laughs> we jump into all the interesting things you're working on, it might be helpful for the uninitiated on government contracting within the DoD. How that typically works, like what is the workflow for somebody who wants to go buy a tank? How does that actually happen
1: okay i'm gonna I'm gonna have to really be succinct in this or else yeah. I mean that the entirety of that process can overwhelm people essentially though with before you can buy something, there has to be a requirement. so somebody in the department has to raise their hand and say, "I need a tank and then at, at, and that's usually at the I call that the, the tactical level, and then someone else in the department has to help the user or the consumer essentially develop the requirements around. Okay, well, what does the tank have to do? Like, how fast does it have to go? How much? Like, are there weight restrictions? Does it have to be ruggedized? Does it have to do X, Y, or Z? You know, does it have to be the Cadillac or the the Corolla type style? Like, so someone yeah. is de- someone has to define. What are we buying? And the requirements process in itself is there's it is very much a, a, an art as as much as it is a science, I would say. And this is an area, admittedly, where the department gets criticized a lot because it's not it's very prescriptive and it's a very lengthy process. And there is and there's good reasons for that too. But in this day and age, I think part of jumping ahead a little bit, we have to like figure out how to do this faster. And mm. Um, so once you have a requirement, then someone in uh, the acquisitions or the contracting group has to help figure out how to acquire the capability and how in an acquisition, I'm not going to get into what is that. I mean, we can go 50 layers deep on that. That's different than procurement, though. So essentially, so in order to buy, there's a ton of regulation and rules and laws that dictate how... We spend taxpayer dollars, essentially. And a lot of those roles involve the contracting principles of fair competition, transparency. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with fairness to all. And fairness to all has essentially equated to everybody gets access to all the same things. It's it's what we call full and open competition. Everybody gets a, a bite at the apple kind of thing. And there's exceptions to that, but I'm just going to speak in generalities for now. And with that becomes a very lengthy process. So there has to be, there is a a government, we call it the government point of entry, like the place where everybody can see all the opportunities within the government where that requirement is publicized. And then there's lots of terms and conditions and there's lots of instructions for how to respond to the solicitation for the government. And we're talking lengthy technical proposals potentially and then there is something called source selection so once the proposals are received there is a panel of subject matter experts or uh, other stakeholders who might be involved in terms of delivering that capability who are going to determine like what right looks like or what is the best solution to or to addressing the requirement source selection can take months and I'm mm-hmm. not going to get in unless you want to deep dive into that as well. No, no, no. And you usually then you can roll right into a contract award once source selection is done. But source selection is not just there's there's different tactics you can use. Most people use what's called best value or trade off. So just because you have the lowest price does or the highest price doesn't necessarily mean um, maybe there's other benefits in your proposal that the government's willing to pay for. So there's there's lots of I'm sure trade-off discussions and there's lots of attorneys and there's lots of um, leadership depending on the dollar value because like if you're getting into the millions tens of millions potentially hundreds of millions of dollars uh the higher the scope of the award the more people that are involved right because there has to be more due due diligence on the government side understandably yeah and everything i just described can take anywhere between 12 to 18 months just for a single contract. That's it yeah. that that's kind of the the elephant in the room when we talk about emerging technology. Mm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very helpful framing. And so maybe it's a good transition point to say where do you see those opportunities to accelerate that process cuz it feels so multidimensional and and sort of loaded in bureaucracy and slowness like Where do you, I mean, you have really interesting insight into how to improve that. So I'm curious, like where you see that opportunity.
1: I love that question. Thank you. When it comes to emerging technology, I'm not, I'm not trying to solve world hunger overnight. So, you know, these comments are for Mm -hmm. those, anyone out there who's trying to get after speed to contract because of how quickly technology is moving and how volatile this space is right now and the necessity to get your hands on something just to try it and learn from it that the, that's the audience that I'm particularly talking to as I'm sharing this with you but we got to stop defining requirements and we got to start defining problems so i think we're we're way past the government trying to predict what's going to happen in industry where i don't think we have the expertise or the capacity, for, you just mentioned we're bureaucratic, we're slow, like we're never going to go or I don't think we can go the way we're currently, the, the construct of our department is is currently designed and built and working under, we can't go that fast. So it, can we define the problem that the requirement is meant to address? So rather than us telling industry, I need a tank and we can tell industry, hey, I need the ability to, I don't know, shoot, you know this thing, or
0: yeah, well, I, I can't even. Well, I think that the the the, uh, the the context. I mean, I think we, we talked about the situation before. Like, if you need to develop a targeting system, like you don't want to say specifically, I want this type of computer and this type of lens and this type of you know. You need you want to basically yeah, state the problem you have, the the thing that you want to go solve, and then industry should come to you and say, here's what we have, here's what we can offer, what we can possibly develop.
1: Absolutely, and. I like to, or kind of the place I've landed or my team has landed when we try to do this, because this is how, this is also our approach to how we're issuing challenges and things of that nature. We really focus on outcomes or end states. So it's the Army doctrine way is current state, end state, and then there's a gap between your current state and your end state. So, I mean, that's a good place to start. Identify the mission gap or identify the place that the pain points that you have to getting out of your current state, man, maybe you don't even know what your end state is, but what's your objective? Like, I just want to go faster or I want it to be easier or I want my current process to be less expensive. And I, yeah, my hypothesis is there are way more solutions in industry out there than we realize. And we're just not allowing ourselves to, you know, be open to that. So I think that's like oppor- yeah. opportunity number one for sure.
0: Mm. And when you think about that, that process of defining requirements, like that feels pretty baked into law. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But how do you envision that actually changing if it can in the short term?
1: Yeah, I would offer it's more baked into policy than it is to law. And there. so and is I'm sure someone out there can check me on this. But based on my 15 years of being in the government, it's more policy driven. It's more our defined way of doing business to meet due diligence. There are things required by law, for, such as market research. Sometimes we have to conduct uh, analysis of alternatives type of document if we're initiating uh, a new venture from an acquisition perspective. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like I think everything else has really been, it, it served the department at a point in time to do business that way. And I'm not sure it's serving us now.
0: Yeah. And it's actually maybe a good point to transition into some of the things that you're working on on the technology side, sort of better enable your internal customers, those people that, that need the, you know, whatever, the, the tank example to more quickly do that. And then also on the vendor side, how you're helping those people better access those opportunities and satisfy the contractor requirements to ultimately provide those much needed services and accelerate the process.
1: Yeah. Anything specific?
0: Yeah. I mean, why don't we talk about the solutions marketplace? I know that's been a big focus of yours for a while.
1: Okay. I would say one of our premier offerings right now in which we're trying to do business differently. So it, it's mm. very much just like we were talking about. We're, it's not our challenge to industry or our ask of industry that is published right now is not asking for a response to a specific requirement like we were just talking about it's more about mm. hey we have some strategic focus areas where we think there's a lot there could be a lot of improvement industry tell us what solutions you have and what problem you're solving and you can enter what we call the solutions marketplace and and by the way uh, by the way okay. you're not submitting a paper you're submitting a five minute video so this is framed very much like a a venture capitalist pitch and all we want to know in this video is what is your solution what problem are you solving what's the impact if you solve my problem like what's the magnitude well like why should i care if you solve that problem and yeah how why are you different in your market so if you you know like how are you differentiate yourself from your competitors how are you innovative or creative that in a five minute pitch all videos are assessed by a peer panel and if you're essentially rated assessed favorably or we call it if you have technical merit to enter a DOD marketplace mm-hmm. you're in and and when i say you're in that doesn't mean you get a contract all that means is you're you're determined to be quote unquote awardable and since you're awardable that gives a government buyer like me a mechanism to purchase directly from you if you have a solution that meets a mission Mm -hmm. so i've already satisfied that competition thing i talked about where like everybody everyone the world, like that can be a very lengthy process and i have to compete things we've there's an ounce of it but the, the authorities we're using allow us to do business this way where we can use a peer panel and we can satisfy competition in this way so i can do business directly with a vendor Who has a solution to my problem? So it can accelerate that contracting process tremendously.
0: So just to be clear, this all happens out of band with the traditional requirements process, where you sort of say, "Look, like we're developing a effectively library of uh, options that address certain problems we've stated." And then when somebody says, "Hey, I have this set of requirements," then they can go to that marketplace and say, or maybe you can even help them with that. Say, "Look, like your your requirements actually indicate that the problem you're trying to solve is X, and we have these." three or four forefront of innovation vendors we've already identified, are these of interest? Like, is that sort of the right way to think about it?
1: I would offer a slightly different way of thinking about it. Before we even get to the requirements process, somebody could be doing market research in the marketplace mm. and being like, oh man, like we were building a requirement for X, but did you know is out there? Like that's like not even, that wasn't even mm. on the landscape, right? Of, of the art of the possible. yeah. That That's a possible use case or scenario another would be is outside of the requirements process i like to think about the marketplace as a mechanism to enable like piloting and experimentation so even before you get to developing a requirement maybe you need to run an experiment to help inform what the requirement looks like and it Mm -hmm. it could be making the requirement better or it allows you to learn before you even get to that part of the process
0: totally yeah makes a lot of sense okay so basically, like you're envisioning it as the, the the front door before you even get to the requirements stage. Yeah,
1: yeah. So a, a term I hear people latching onto in the department is entry point. It's supposed to be an easy entry point. So for the mm-hmm. for the government buyer, it allows you to engage directly with a vendor on the basis of competition, which is important for yep. Yep. government business in a very collaborative and streamlined merit, manner. And then on the industry side, you don't have to have like some, I don't know if this is a term that resonates with you or your audience, but you don't have to have a a government-wide contract like a GSA schedule or
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: or some massive government contract to do business with the government. Like the mechanism is there. You're in the marketplace. You just have to find that demand signal on the other side.
0: Right. But ultimately, are you then required to go through that contracting process once you sort of establish who your partners are going to be? Yes, you
1: do. Yes. So okay, it's it. designed so that the services can implement their own contracts. We didn't want to dictate at the OSD level, the Office of Secretary of Tents, what the contract would look like. So we made it flexible enough that, again, mm-hmm. you could be doing business directly with that solution provider. who has They have the thing. I need to buy the thing. So we've enabled that, but the services or the components still have to execute their own contracts the way they would normally do it. But we've made it flexible enough that they can execute what we call more traditional procurement contracts, which is leveraging the federal acquisition regulation, or there's other authorities available to us, something called other transaction authority, where you got, kind of get to use a different set of rules and it's easier. And we've accommodated for both. So we've tried to make it super flexible so that the optionality on the government buyer side, yeah. trying to make it easy to say yes.
0: And and is your vision for this that it it is the front door, as you said it, for all contracting? Or is it really just like, look, there's going to be things like pencils and chairs and air conditioners that you're going to need to buy through some standard flow. But like, if you need to do something that's slightly more forward leaning, that's when you would come to to Tradewind or, or you know, this this mechanism.
1: Yeah, definitely the latter. This is not meant to replace yeah. uh, office supplies, janitorial services, yeah. like some of these ba- recurring needs, or even um, maybe, I, I, I don't know if I'll stand by this statement in the future, uh, but we'll, we'll- Jury's still out. How about that? Uh, maybe even like uh, yeah. major weapon zones. like not, that. This isn't really solving out. This is like I I see a commercial solution. I see this also accommodates early R&D uh, type of zones. I, I see an yeah. idea and I want to buy it right now because it might be obsolete three months from now. That's the kind of scenario we are trying to address.
0: Yeah. OK, awesome. Love it. And now I think it'd be great to transition into how you guys are integrating LLMs to your credit, which is super yeah. interesting across a variety of areas in the process we've discussed to make this process easier for, for all parties involved. So do you mind just spending a minute on that Absolutely. or probably more than a minute?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know if we're the first. Maybe I'll find out soon if that's true or not, but I, we're the first that I'm aware of. They're actually applying generative AI using LLMs to the contract rating process and and th- this was born out of my former organization. So before I joined the CDAO, Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office, I was called the Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. And the Jake was reorganized under CDAO. But when we were just Jake, mm-hmm. We were thinking about this problem before OpenAI opened the floodgate with ChatGPT. So somewhere between like nine and 10 months before that happened, we were thinking about like, how do we do this? What is the art of the possible? We wanted to experiment in this space, just like we were talking about. So I issued an open challenge because I don't know the answer. I don't, it's just like we were describing. There's no way I could have written a requirement for this. I have no idea what this would look like. I don't even know if it would work. And so I issued, I issued an open challenge to industry and I was like, I I put kind of a low cost risk bounty maybe uh, to to industry. And I was like, I'm willing to pay a little money to see what's good out there. Most of the responses I got were people telling me they would build me something. There was one response though, where somebody said they would, they already, they had also been thinking about this problem on the industry side. So submitting proposal to the government is also a very lengthy tedious uh you know very manual hands-on type of process and so they they had already kind of started developing things and they were willing to kind of extend that to the government and i thought that was worthwhile it's like i'm willing to see like to throw a a low-cost type of bounty over to them to see what they could do and the first mvp i think it was around 45 days that's when I first saw what generative AI was. And again, this was like nine or 10 months before ChatGPT. And they were able to show me how to write a problem statement. You know, we were talking earlier about how to define our problems. So I was like, can you help me get customers to define their problems? I was like, that's a real big, like, that's hard uh, when you've never done that before or can be hard. And I, and I want to make that process easier because that's kind of also our intake process. It's kind of where we start the conversation with our customers. We're like, what do you need to buy? What is your problem? So if, yeah. so if we had a collaborative way to do that using a tool like this, I thought that'd be pretty cool. So the MVP was to show me how to do how to do that. And they wrote a descriptive title and I don't remember what it was. And they were able to generate like two paragraphs of text and it blew my mind. I was like, this is insane. I, di- I didn't even, I get right. I'm just the contract center. I didn't even know that was a thing and this was out there. <laughs> so then it, it was like, what else can we do? And, and, and so we built, we started iterating on from that foundation and we now have this tool and we call it ActBot and it, it can, gen, it helps us craft those problem statements with our customers. And I kid you not, I've, I've done this. I've repeated this multiple times. It is, I can now do what would usually take weeks or months. Um, I can do it in 30 minutes. With the right people in the room, it doesn't. It's not like ChatGPT where you query it and it and it gives you an answer back. It's more like I can start in plain language with the customer and say like, "What, what, what do you need? What do you want?" Even if you're not sure, just like tell me something in plain language, and it helps me tr- start to translate that into something more specific. To again, going back to that framework, current mm. state and state gap, yeah. and 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 we're not expecting the bot to give us the answer from the plain language. So we use human reinforcement like two or three times in the workflow. So at first the, mm-hmm. the bot will generate like a couple sentences and we try to make this the need statement really concise. And then the humans have to verify. And so you, and if you're doing this right, you're, you've got like the primary stakeholders on the call, all looking at the, the language that's generated. You're all verifying and editing the text in real time. And then you move to the next part and it starts to generate like three paragraphs and then you're editing and validating that text and yeah. that's done. It generates like five paragraphs and now you have like that 85, 90% draft of a problem statement right. that I could give to industry and they can tell me if they have solutions to that. And then, and then we build some RPA type of workflows on top of that to get to the point where we're generating what we call a call it an industry or a solicitation. Yeah. And we can publish that. And everything it it's been a a very fun journey to see how far that's going. And, and we're continuing to build on top of that. We've got a ton of interest from Air Force and Navy right now to build similar workflows for their more traditional procurement workflows. So we're yeah. gonna see where this goes. But right now we're using it
0: very, very, very cool on
1: my team to really get after the the stuff we've been talking about when we're not using those traditional workflows and we're going after like prototyping or things that are a little bit more non-traditional we, we define those problems and we get it out to industry as fast as possible using the tool
0: amazing so cool yeah how did you guys get it to sort of understand the if you if you have an idea for how that sort of back end works like understand the the contract structure that it's trying to build toward like how do you guide it into the 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 format that's required I guess is my question. For
1: the contract?
0: Yeah, for for what you're cuz you ultimately you're trying to get to this problem statement or request okay. to industry I forget the wording you used. I assume there's some sort of set standard for that. Is it like the model understands how to take the the statement and then map it into the different sections of that document or or how does it actually work?
1: For the generative AI part, the generative AI currently is only building the problem. So and okay. and you're right. It already knows where in the document, and this is more on the solicitation side, not the contract side, where in the solicitation we want to put that, put that section. And then there's, Mm. and then we have, uh, I'll say templates. So in addition to when you're really telling industry, like I I have a problem and I want you to give me, submit responses to my problem, there's really three basic things you got to do. You got to tell them what is the problem. And then two, you got to provide instructions on how to respond to. With felicitation and three maybe some criteria on how you're going to evaluate those responses and so we mm-hmm. so we've figured out like our team has a way of doing business in terms of the instructions and the criteria all of that that's where we use robotic process automation on top of once we've generated the problem with the customer we have templates and standard language for this is how you're going to submit. This is like some criteria we're going to use. I'm actually hoping the tool will help us maybe generate some criteria, some new criteria that's more applicable depending on what the problem is. That's a future feature potentially. And so the generative AI part, again, is really only in that beginning part currently. But we've got some experiments going on where the the generative AI part could expand to other workflows or other administrative tasks.
0: I could imagine, yeah. I mean, also... Have you done any work yet to figure out if it can actually process sort of instead of expanding on 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 ideas sort of compressing long documents into the core ideas for when you're you know getting uh, proposals from industry and you want to understand what they do
1: that that's actually an interesting idea where where we were going with it at least currently on the roadmap like the one of the the things probably in the next i don't know sixty ninety days we're working on is actually integrating the marketplace into that intake process. So as we're writing, here's my problem. Can the AI start recommending videos for me to watch? So maybe I don't even need to Mm -hmm. solicit. And there's already a solution out there. And so can we integrate the two? I like your idea, though. That's a good one.
0: It's funny because like, if you take it to the end, you sort of imagine a world where you have LLMs writing the contracts, reading the contracts. And it's like, wait, why do we have... like? Why do <laughs> you just have feels a little bit like an anti yeah. pattern? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You
1: sound like uh, some of my f- friends on the Air Force, on the Intel side. That's exactly what they said. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, right? This this stuff is moving so fast that uh, I don't think any of us need answers, and we just have to do our best to continue to make sure we're at least. I I do agree with some of those out there who are. I'm not doomsday about it, but I do think there is an element of wisdom we have to be exercising before deploying these type of capabilities. I 100% agree with that. Tristan Harris at the Center for Humane Technology is is really big on this and 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 some people yeah. might take his criticisms of what's happening in AI to be very like oh he's anti, you know, AI. I don't I don't get that at all. I think he's just asking for people to um, to not understand be where the
0: sort of edges are of, of capability, and and you know, yeah,
1: he's really big.
0: build around that.
1: Yeah, he's really big on harnessing technology and not just deploying it blindly. So I, I, yeah, I think I th- there's there's some good wisdom there. So it's the same thing. Like for right now, and and unless you know, we're proven wrong in the next who knows six to twelve months, and whatever, wherever technology takes us then. There is always going to be a human validating, at least currently, like yeah. work, work from a contracting perspe- perspective, especially in the government. There's always going to be that human validating what's happening. The AI is never going to make the decision, make the contract. They can make recommendations just like a human would make recommendations like this. We pay people mm. all the time to support the government, right? help advise or manage or write our contracts that. To me, that the, this is no different to asking AI to do the same thing. But there's, you're always going to have that subject matter expert, someone like me, a practitioner like me, on the other side, to make sure, yes, like that we didn't, I don't know, break the law, or we didn't, uh, we we the the intent, yeah. like you just said, going from proposal to contract, like we didn't miss the intents, or you know, we we got our mutual meeting of the minds, all the all the things. So,
0: right, that's kind of right. how I feel about it. One of the things that yeah, no, it makes sense. I was going to say one of the things that you're making me think a lot about is this problem in self-driving cars that I, I love to bring up, which is yeah. self-driving cars are, are objectively better drivers than humans. But there's a a lot of the problem with adoption is that they fail in ways that are different than humans. Mm. And and if they failed in ways that were similar to humans, we'd be actually much more comfortable with it. But the the issues are really not coming from the fact that they're they're worse. They're objectively way better drivers than humans. But it's just we are not comfortable with dealing with how they're failing which is creating a whole new set of problems and i wonder if it's might end up being similar here where it's like look i, I do imagine a world where as great as you are the all-seeing ai model is probably going to be better at writing contracts at some point yeah. just you know
1: it's, just, it's already better at, d- yeah. at writing problems you know what i mean like problem statements right. so like i can't deny oh, right. it. so the
0: issue is that yeah. like when are we comfortable with saying hey like you know maybe we should be handing this off because actually that that AI might, AI might be better than than me the human at writing these contracts or, or you know doing whatever the job is interesting to think about.
1: yeah I will say if I were to, if we're making predictions on the on the government mm-hmm. side that is going to be a way longer adoption than the industry side
0: because of the the policies regulations yeah, et etc yeah
1: uh, law just the li- I also say liability. Who does a liability yeah. go to? And I think these are questions in the public conversation right now about even self-driving cars or.
0: Yeah, totally. I can't
1: even imagine like in the medical field, like <laughs> it was the AI who said, you know, yeah, that totally. you were going to get this disease, not me, you know? So I, yeah. I can't even imagine.
0: Well, it's, it's funny. I was, I was going to say like, because if, if you take this in some ways, it will be solved at the front lines of combat first, because if the AI is in fact better at, Shooting a gun, sending a missile, whatever, or, or you know, whatever the task is, there's much more incentive to say, "Look, we are willing to, because we are forced to win against our adversaries on that level. Like we just we can't compromise on capabilities." But as you walk back further and further and further from that front line where you can really see the impact of having worse capabilities, that's when it becomes slower to change because it becomes a it's a less clear argument that like we should be depending on the AI because it's objectively better. When we get all the way back to contracting, even though Ultimately, it, it it does flow through to winning at the end of the day as a country. It's harder to see the ultimate impact. And so you're less willing to say, look, objectively, the AI is better. We should just go with it. Right. You know?
1: Yeah. All of this, everything we're talking about. It's funny we started with contracting, but you could really talk about any aspect of our lives, right? There's all of this is making us uncomfortable in ways maybe we didn't even know we were going to be uncomfortable. And I think the, yeah. the more I'm not saying get comfortable with the uncomfortable, but the more i think we can be honest about where you we have these concerns and we're because that that's where we learn that's where growth is like if we're able to go into that space rather than avoid it or just say i'm not doing it like the more we can learn and understand it. And I think this is like my CTO, Dr. Bill Strylein. He talks about this too, about the ability to talk. I, I'm mixing up my words because he he talks about AI assurance. You know, the more we can assure the technology and maybe get that trust we're looking for. But I will, yeah, just the more I think we can be vulnerable about like th- this is just at the, because it's moving at a pace, maybe we're not comfortable there. I think there's some legit fear there. And the more we yeah. can just say that and own it, there's no judgment there. But that that we're never going to get past what you're talking about unless that comes to the forefront. And th- and that's that's just Bonnie talking. Like we're, I feel like we're getting a little bit Your
0: philosophical. Yeah, no, little, but this is you know it's interesting.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so what maybe last area of questioning? there are going to be a lot of entrepreneurs, vendors listening to this that are like, wow, like I. The DOD is very large, a bit complicated to understand, a little bit slow moving and bureaucratic. But I do have this really interesting thing that I'd love to either help with on, the, on this sort of contracting LLM process or something that ultimately will be in the hands of the DOD broadly. What advice do you give them about how to best engage with you? Like, what is the first step that they should take to try to add value to this effort and ultimately drive revenue for themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. I will say before you engage with me, though, my my first piece of advice is get clear on your value proposition. And when I say value proposition, get clear on how you, whenever it is a software tool or uh, maybe a model, like you're talking about LLMs, you have something in this space that is worthwhile and you think will help, get clear on how that helps the end user, the soldier. And end users don't aren't always soldiers in the department, but they're they're the bread and butter of the department. If you're not helping them, like I can't help you. (laughs) Right. Don't get me wrong. Like there are lots. I'm an end user, right? If you've got like a contracting tool, I want to know about it. But like, so whoever your end user is, get clear on who that is. It's a soldier. It's your business analyst. It's your, you know, it's anybody who's has to do reporting. Like, figure out who that is. You don't necessarily have to know every functional lane in the department, but figure out who benefits and how your thing makes us win and, and why it's better yeah. than what we have or what we don't have and whatever. So get get clear on that first. And, and then I would, I mean, shameless plug, but really get on the marketplace. And if you have that thing and you get on the marketplace, I can now buy from you. And there yeah. is still a little bit of a, of a hustle that I haven't solved that problem with the marketplace. You still have to hustle a little bit. You have to make your contacts and, go to your industry engagements or whoever. Because again, that's once you're clear on who that end user is, that's how you you start to figure out maybe possibly uh, a path into the government, into that revenue path into the government. The marketplace is the easiest way right now for anybody to point at your solution and buy it. I promise you. So that's what I would say.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I I think that I, I might add a third thing to take away, which is that the fact that you are able to Put out this proposal, say, I want to go try this LLM thing, or just even say the problem statement and then be surprised by the LLM, adopt it and make it a real solution in such a short period of time, I think indicates that there are non-bureaucratic channels or thoughtful people that really just want to innovate in the organization, in the department. And like if you have a solution that to your point adds value to the right people, there's a way to for that to move forward in a in a not massive headache way. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a great message. I think it's awesome.
1: Well, thank you. It's I don't know, often I wonder sometimes like why am like, I don't know why I care so much about this, but I I think it's worthy. I think it's worthwhile. There are some of us within the department who are trying to move the needle in the right direction and you just have to find them. And it's, there's not an easy place to to do that. But once, you know, hopefully things like this will get the message out and the right people who should be finding us will find us and we're going to keep moving the needle as, as much as we can.
0: I love it. Awesome. Bonnie, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah,
1: thank you. I had a blast.